I'm Emily Renneberg, and this is Even Strength. Craig. Slap. Crimp. Beta. Jug. Crux. Dino. Smear. Jib. Sprag. Rack. Sloper. Sprag. If you're like a lot of people, the words I just threw at you make absolutely no sense. Out of context, they sound like a foreign language. And even if I added context for you, you'd likely still be staring blankly. They're all technically English terms. But to a climber, these terms are words that help them navigate tricky problems, projects, and the equipment required to top out or send a route. There's some more confusing words for you. It's a good thing I invited our climbing guest to today's episode because she definitely knows what's going on. My name's Eva Thompson, and I've been climbing since I was four years old. Through climbing, I've been able to travel around the world competing at international competitions. My outdoor pursuits in climbing have also taken me many places and given me the opportunity to meet countless amazing people. She's also being pretty humble here. She's competed with the national team, won the Tour de Bloc and National Series events, took first in the Alberta Climbing Association Provincial Competition, placed second in open route climbing and first in youth, and has traveled to places like Austria, the U.S., Mexico, and Italy to compete. Oh yeah, and it doesn't stop there. As well as being a climber, I'm a psychology student at Mount Royal University, a competitive climbing coach at Boulder Climbing Community, and an advocate for women in sport. Like she said, she's been climbing essentially her whole life and took it to a competitive level when she was 12. When I did my first competition, I basically, I really didn't want to go. Like I'd always been climbing, but I'd never done a competition. And I really, really didn't want to go. But my dad was, you know, of course, he wanted me to try it. So I eventually gave in and gave it a try. And I ended up falling in love with the people and falling in love with the sport and rest is kind of history, I guess. I remember thinking it was going to be a lot more competitive than it was like, not that climbing isn't a competitive sport, like, of course it is, but it's not competitive in like, in a nasty way, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like some sports are almost competitive in like a nasty way. But climbing just felt really homey, like everyone, uh, your competitors are people who've become my best friends. And even though you're competing against them, you still want them to do well. It's like a weird dance between the two. And so I really fell in love with that because I wasn't expecting that at all. Well, I definitely would say I'm a competitive person, but I like because since climbing is such a individual sport, there's really no one you can blame but yourself if something goes wrong. If someone's worked harder or trained more than you have, then they deserve to win. And so I love seeing my friends at different competitions and seeing how hard they've trained for something. And if they win that day, that just pushes me harder for the next competition. I didn't actually play a lot of team sports growing up, but I do like the individual aspect of it. But I also like that even though it's an individual thing, you do it in a community. Climbing has really exploded in popularity all over the world. According to the International Federation of Sport Climbing, 44.5 million people climb regularly. And based off of liability waivers that people sign at local gyms, it's estimated that between 1,000 and 1,500 people are trying climbing for the very first time every single day in the U.S. alone. The sport is seeing a lot of growth and has been climbing out of the fringe into mainstream in the last decade or so. 
Even if you haven't climbed before, you've likely heard of the Oscar-winning documentary Free Solo. It's about Alex Honnold and El Cap in Yosemite. You might have seen Donwell on Netflix, and that one's about Tommy Caldwell and Kevin Jorgensen, and also El Cap in Yosemite. Social media is highlighting these athletes and their feats, and people are starting to notice. It's a sport that's relatively accessible, too. Instead of investing in skates, a helmet, gloves, shin pads, shoulder pads, and a whole year's worth of registration for a hockey team, you can show up to a local gym with friends and rent a pair of shoes and some chalk and try it out for a couple hours before you get really into it. I think the biggest thing is that it's just, it's hit the mainstream. So climbing's always been kind of like a fringe sport. And I came in right at the end of that fringe phase, I would say. And now it's definite, it's mainstream. Like if I have people coming up to me and asking me about like Alex Arnold or, you know, like climbers who otherwise would never have been known. Another thing I've noticed though, is there's a lot more women in climbing. I'd say like when I started, it wasn't as bad, but even before that, uh, climbing's kind of been a bit of a boys club. And it's pretty cool to see that on my team right now, for example, there's like 10 girls and two guys or something like that. So it's really cool to see. I think it's having just the media coverage of like strong women climbing and other girls seeing it and being like oh why can't I do that when as before it was like you just didn't see it as often I think it's really encouraging it's just awesome to see women having the confidence to charge into a sport that was so male dominated and kick butt the American Alpine Club and their many partners published the very first state of climbing report in 2019 and the results weren't exactly shocking the overwhelming majority of people who climb are white For indoor climbing, it's about evenly split between men and women participants. But that slides in favor of men in the outdoor climbing scene. I like this quote from the report, though. Quote, No one should be surprised to hear that climbing is dominated by white men. But rather than getting defensive over a statistical fact, we should concern ourselves with how to go about fixing it. I guess I've never seen it as being leaving people out necessarily but I do think that sometimes like the costs or the introduction to outdoor activities is exclusive I would say that's more the problem in my opinion so there's a climber called Kai Leitner and I think he's a great example of that because he's a world-renowned climber And he happens to be African-American. And I know he's doing a lot of work introducing climbing to his community and just exposing people to it. Because I think that's the the biggest thing. I think the best way for the outdoor community to be more inclusive for everyone is just give them a chance to try it. And I think climbing, like bouldering especially in cities and stuff, is a great way for people to try climbing but then even after that, since climbing is such like such a community, inevitably you meet someone at the gym who knows how to climb outside. They lend you their gear and go with you, something like that. So, When it comes to climbing competitions, the events are in the typical athletic style of women's events and men's events. They don't compete against each other. I would say that's more of like just just the way humans like it's I'm sure the women could compete with the men. It's more so when everyone's younger, like when I was first on team, like the girls and boys, they're at the same level. And then it's basically just anatomically like in the sport, they are 
stronger in some ways that it would be unfair to put them against each other. Like for an example, powerful burly boulders. So ones that really involve upper body strength, for example, if you have a man and a woman like at the same playing field, and they both tried it, usually the man would do better. But for example, on like a flexible technical boulder, the woman could do better. But that's like, it's not always the case. It's just so it definitely could happen at some point. I think it would be a big shift, though. No, they do set differently. But the, the thing is, it's not even like the same problem, but made easier or something like that. It's just, um, they're just completely separate boulders. But now that I'm talking about this, I feel like the whole like men being separated on one boulder, women being separated on another, it definitely, the more that I talk about it, I do think that they could be it could eventually go towards men and women being on the same boulder. The root setters would just have to figure out a way around. So what is Eva the best at when it comes to her own climbing? It's funny because I'd say climbers have a really, they can tell you all the, all the things they need to work on, but then you ask them what they're good at, they freeze. <laughs> well, one thing I definitely really like hold-wise is I really like climbing on crimps. So those are like the thin, small holds that you see in the gym or anything like that. So I've always found a way to make crimps work for me. And I guess headspace-wise, I've always had a pretty positive headspace. I know uh, I know some people get really frustrated at competitions because, you know, 99% of the time you are failing. So you have to be able to take failure and learn from it. Oh, But remember when I said that Eva's traveled all over the globe to compete in climbing competitions? She's also been to Japan, which became a really memorable moment for her. Yeah, it's a crazy experience. It just, it really brings you out of your, it makes you humble for sure. Because even if you're good in Canada or good at your home gym, like an international scale is a whole new thing. So my first competition, like international competition I went to was Japan. And that was, that was just a cool, like, cultural experience and then also the Japanese are known for being amazing boulders so their problems they set for that competition were really difficult and I remember that round I was in first problem was so hard and it just I could I literally did not get off the ground the whole time Uh, I think you have at that time you had five minutes I didn't get off the ground the whole time and then by the last problem I topped it so it was just like a roller coaster and I was so happy that I'd I'd done a problem on an international scale, and yeah. The sport has really exploded in Japan, where the number of their gyms has grown from 96 to 425 from 2018 to 2015. And when the 2020 Tokyo Olympics actually happen in 2021, climbing will make its debut. It's an incredibly exciting moment when your sport is recognized on the most prestigious and global stage imaginable. I think it's awesome. I think at first I was kind of, a little skeptical, like just the format of it is um, is a bit controversial in the climbing community. But I'm excited to see it at an international level like that. I think it'll be really cool. But wait, did she just say that the formatting is controversial? Yep, we all heard that correctly. Let me explain a few things for you first. There are three primary types of climbing, lead, bouldering, and speed. Lead climbing has athletes secured by a rope, and the name of that game is Very, Very Tall Walls, Endurance, and Strategy. Bouldering is more power and technique. Athletes are free of ropes so they don't wear a harness, they climb on much shorter walls, and require more explosive movements. Speed is newer, and the name kind of explains it for you. There's a 15-meter wall, and the person that gets to the top the fastest wins. In the, uh, 
2021 Olympics, climbers will be required to compete in all three events, lead, bouldering, and speed. Some people think the whole thing is a gimmick. It's like asking someone who's only been throwing a javelin for the last decade to do javelin, the 400 meter sprint, and also do pole jump in order to secure the gold and be the best of the world. Some athletes are excited. It's a new challenge and it gives the sport a different light. Regardless of what the sport looks like though, I know I'll still be watching it. So the way the Olympic format is set up is that each athlete will need to compete in all three disciplines. And the way it works right now at an international level or even just at an individual local competition level is that uh, most climbers specialize in one or two of those disciplines. And there's very, very few who actually do well at all three. So most climbers are even the ones that are like, you know, internationally acclaimed are having to kind of like relearn how to balance all three, how to train for all three. And it just kind of, it's a weird way to organize it. So I think they've already, from what I've heard, they've already changed this for the Olympics afterwards and they've separated them, but it almost feels like the level of climbing that will happen at the Olympics will be lower than it would already be on an international scale, just because these athletes are going to have to prepare for all three versus, you know, focusing on that one they're really good at. I mean, it's a setback, I guess, a necessary one to get it into the Olympics. Um, I'm happy to see that it might it might change after that. And since the sport is so new to the Olympics, the question of whether or not Eva has ever thought of participating had to be asked. I've been really excited to see climbing get to the Olympic level, but I've personally never been like motivated to go to the Olympics. For me, climbing is a part of my life, but it's not the only thing in my life. And I think for me to get to the Olympics, I would really have to make it my main priority. So yeah. Eva is also a coach at Boulder Climbing Community. She got her coaching start at the ripe age of 16. Yeah, it was really young. It was um, it was actually uh, my coach at the time. I guess he must have seen something in me that worked well with kids. I, I don't know. He just thought I should start coaching at a young age. And so he just got me involved in it um, early on. And then I just took a liking to it and just kind of kept going from there. I guess at the time, since I was still on a youth team being coached, I never thought of myself then, you know, flipping that role so young. Maybe if I was a little bit older, I would have thought about coaching. But yeah, it was definitely him bringing it up to me. Since the climbing community has grown so rapidly, there's a huge need for coaches. So there's actually a lot of coaches who are on teams themselves, like on youth teams and whatnot, and work with like younger kids. Um, And then, yeah, so I would say that it's actually changed a lot. The most important thing for me is I want the kids to be there because they're having fun. And I know that's kind of counterintuitive to, you know, you obviously want that performance as well. But for me, it's not worth it unless they're having fun. So that's like the most important thing. Like, even if we're having a tough day at practice, or, you know, the exercises might not be that enjoyable, as long as you still love climbing, that's kind of what I'm trying to bring to the kids. Because I did start coaching pretty young. Um, so it's pretty funny because now I can see myself in a lot of the kids who are getting mad at their parents who are like, no, like, I don't want you to do this, mom and dad, whatever. And then I can also relate to the parents because I probably did that same thing to my dad when I was at competitions. So it's pretty funny. Yeah. And she's also a student at Mount Royal University, set to graduate from psychology in the fall. 
yeah, school was not a straight line for me. It's, it's not for like a lot of people. Um, I started out in general science and just kind of knew right off the bat that wasn't what I wanted to do, but I just didn't know what I did want to do. So I just ended up taking some courses that I found interesting. And psychology really spoke to me because just from like a personal level of getting to know other people or from a climbing standpoint of like needing to control your mind is a big part of being able to climb well. So that kind of spoke to me and I was thinking of doing sports psychology and then I've kind of gone a different direction from there but that's kind of right now I want to be a speech pathologist so I have a minor I'm going to have a minor in linguistics as well so those two kind of combine well to do speech pathology and with the help of her very 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 outdoorsy dad and family around her she's expanding her outdoor pursuits beyond the world of climbing when I was younger I was really really shy and that's if I had if I didn't have him like pushing me to try these things I definitely don't think I would have as early as I did and it's awesome he is like a little encyclopedia for everything I want to know about the outdoors dad kind of was brought up in family like my grandma still hikes and we still go hiking with her and all of that so he was kind of always raised being outside and I would say my mom was complete opposite. Uh, She was born in Jamaica. And so this kind of outdoors is not necessarily her thing. But she always comes with us on the hikes or skiing or climbs. Kind of cheesy, but it's my dad just has always been there as a climbing figure in my life. So I'd say in the past little bit, I've kind of gone away from competition climbing a little bit to try some new things and my dad has been helping me with that so I've been trying to do some bigger objectives outside well before COVID all happened I was uh, trying to learn how to ice climb glacier travel he's done all the 11,000ers in the Canadian Rockies and so I've been kind of using him as a resource so I can do some of those as well he basically had a friend who was into climbing, introduced him into the community, and then he just started meeting people who take him out on outdoor climbing trips. She's also keeping up with her love of reading. I love to read, which, I don't know, I just feel like it's a dying... People just don't read anymore. But yeah, I just like knowing that, I don't know, like learning something, I guess. So what was a book I just read? Uh, it's called Trevor Noah. Uh, he has a book that he wrote. And it's about his life, but it's also about South Africa during apartheid and all of that. So that was a really good book. So I just like reading about the world. Thank you so much to Eva for being on this week's episode. Thank you all for supporting the podcast. It's been a fantastic five weeks. Thank you for the support. If you want to follow us for more updates at Even Strength Pod on Instagram and Twitter, I know you'll love next week's guest. Tuesday, I'll be here. You'll be here. We'll see you next week.